Prince Staley, and you're listening to the Podcast Preview, where I tell you about a podcast that you are going to love. We're doing something a little bit different today. It's an interview with Jesse Thorne, so we're not covering any particular podcast. We'll talk about the podcasts he hosts, the menswear blog he runs, and the podcast network that he created. And don't worry, we'll recommend some podcasts you can listen to, too. Jesse Thorne is a man of many hats, both figuratively as an NPR host and leader of the tremendous Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and literally as the tastemaker behind the fascinating menswear blog Put This On. Jesse, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you. And as a bald guy. (laughs) You started your first radio show, Jesse, The Sound of Young America, in college. How much of what you were doing then is the same as what you're doing now? Well, I mean, when we <laughs> when we started the show, um, it was it was me and my friends Jordan and Gene, and uh, I still work with Jordan. But um, we really threw everything at the wall just to see what would stick. I mean, we had an hour to fill every week, and that seemed absolutely insurmountable <laughs> to us. Um, and so, you know, initially, frankly, initially, I thought I was going to make this American lifestyle, like fully produced, reported <laughs> pieces for this show. And then I made one that was like five minutes long. I was like, this is so much work. <laughs> I am out of here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, by the time by the time I finished up college, uh, the format of the show, outside of the fact that I was still doing it with my friend Jordan then, uh, is was pretty similar to what it is now, which is to say it's a it's fundamentally an interview show about arts and culture. And uh, that's what it is today, even though I graduated from school in 2003 and it's uh, 2016 or something <laughs> now. <laughs> Somehow gave myself a math test in the middle of that. <laughs> you get a lot of questions about being a millennial in media. I've been following you, you know, your appearances a little bit here and there, and you always get, I listen to you on the Kojo Namdi show here in D.C., and uh, your your millennialness is always a big, a big topic of conversation, especially in public radio. How do you feel about that being your, your thing? How do you feel about being, you know, <laughs> like you say on Jordan Jesse Go, which is, I, I'm a religious listener of Jordan Jesse Go every Monday before noon. You are the voice of the millennial generation, and that is kind of true a lot of times, especially when you run into people asking these questions. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, I think I gave myself that semi-ironic nickname, and to be abundantly clear, all of our nicknames are semi-ironic. I don't <laughs> believe myself to be the voice of the millennial generation. <laughs> uh, mostly just because I thought that that, you know, so many efforts to cater to or sell to people in my demographic cohort, and I'm an older millennial, I was born in 1981, um, uh, are just, like, they pretty much consist of just yelling the word millennial at you. <laughs> and I feel like that was, you know, I remember that from when, you know, when I first became self-aware as a 10 or 12-year-old was the peak of marketing to Generation X in the same way. Um, and it's just... It's just so embarrassing, <laughs> especially when the one marketing message is just don't be embarrassing, you know. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I'm I'm proud to be a millennial. I think um, uh, I think it's a really remarkable generation that has, you know, led among other things a real uh, second civil rights revolution in this country and 
Um, I'm just I'm very proud to be I'm very proud to be the person that I am and uh, so on and so forth. But the the marketing does get exhausting. <laughs> now that having been said, <laughs> that having been said, you know if my millenniality uh, and that of my staff, the folks that work here. Um, is what it takes to uh, make my public radio show, Bullseye, something that uh, public radio program directors who, who choose what shows go on station, something they should pay attention to, then I'm very grateful to that. Um, you know, like I'm grateful for, I think my show is different um, and it's not, a, it doesn't have a crazy format. So um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for anything that, that gets people to pay attention to it. You've said in the past about your show that one of the reasons you do Bullseye, uh, and you've said this on comedy podcasts, so I know maybe I should take it maybe with a grain of salt, but you've said that the, the one of the big reasons you do Bullseye is because it gives you name brand recognition to be associated with NPR. Do you think that's going to stay important as podcasts kind of blow up and, and newer kinds of media get big? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that will be more important than ever. Um, frankly. Now, whether it will be NPR, I think that's likely. Uh, uh, I think NPR is a really amazing outfit that I am very proud to be associated with. Um, uh, but, you know, it's it's possible that, you know, five years from now, NPR will implode and uh, all that will be <laughs> left is, a you know, a pile of rubble and debris, rubble and debris. I don't think that's I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I think that speaking generally, uh you know, in a world of infinite choices, uh, really strong, broadly recognized brands become very important. Um, and so, you know, because they're just something that people trust, like it's an entry point, it's a, it's a point of relevancy, it's a connection. Um, and, you know, I, I am, I, like I said, I think NPR is awesome. So I think it's really great. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they want to be friends with me. <laughs> um, you know, that isn't to say that, that that is the only path to success. I mean, it is, well, obviously we don't any longer live in a three television channel world where you had to be CBS, ABC, or NBC, uh, to get, uh, to get work in front of a, you know, in front of a TV camera. But um, I, I, as I said, I, I think that those big brands, you know, those ones that really mean something to a lot of people um, are a way of connecting to people. And that's something that I've only come to accept, <laughs> uh, the, you know, relatively recently. Like I'm so <laughs> indie minded, you know, I'm so DIY oriented um, that it's very difficult for me to accept that. Uh, you know, the truth is that no one will ever hear about anything that I do uh, unless, you know, unless they hear that it has NPR at the beginning of it or that it uh, uh, or that it airs on a television channel they happen to be watching anyway. Um, and, you know, that's just the that's the reality of being in media and entertainment. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, the 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 value of like a big brand name, because I I. You know, my parents are very sort of anti-brand name people, and I grew up with that sort of being an, an something to aspire to, as uh, you know, oh, don't don't wear brands on your clothes, don't um, you know, don't, and I, I kept strict kosher, so I never ate at the big brand name restaurants. I mean, there was very little in my life that was brand name, and in the last couple of years, uh, especially, um, I, I have to say, actually, thanks to listening to a podcast, the Doughboys podcast that I featured on here a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is about brand name restaurants, and they they talk about it so much, 
and I've been going to brand name restaurants and it's 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 good. <laughs> they're really good. There's a reason they're brand name restaurants. And the same thing's true of NPR. I think NPR's a little cooler than Burger King, but it's still the big the big I mean, it's not as big as Clear Channel or whatever, the big commercial radio places, but NPR is the big hip place to go for your your cool um you know ra- uh, radio shows and podcasts and at first i thought oh cool npr is the cool place and then as i got into podcasts i said yeah npr is kind of for beginners you know i'm into way more indie stuff than that and i think that's a little you know i don't have to be mean to npr to like maximum fun and other more um kind of specific uh and in my opinion more interesting shows NPR is still cool and good. Agreed. So how do you want media that covers millennials to change? How do you think they could respect our generation a little bit more? Well, I mean, I think that I think that ultimately there are two there are two problems and they're problems that I think also crop up, especially around race, but around other cultural characteristics um, in the news media. They are. Um, number one, for the sake of simplicity, uh, describing a monstrous cultural cohort as though it is monolithic. Um, you know, (laughs) I know that, I know that there are as many different types of, there are as many different sorts of millennials as there are baby boomers. Um, and, but they're... You know, the the only articles that you ever hear about what baby boomers are up to uh, are basically just describing the, like, literal facts of baby boomers, like they're starting to retire <laughs> or something like that. Right. You know, like, yes, that is because of their age. That is something that they actually do all share. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't mind I don't mind I don't mind descriptions of uh, well-considered demographic information about younger people. But that's rarely what it is. Um, you know, the the narrative imperative in uh, man, I should copyright that. That's the narrative imperative. The narrative <laughs> imperative in news journalism is to make anything into a story, um, no matter what the scraps are. And the w- one of the ways that, that that's often done is by generalizing. And I think that's unfortunate. And then the other side that I think is weird and gross is uh, <laughs> a kind of general air of. Um, an almost anthropological uh, approach. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that if you ask a person of color how they feel about the mainstream <laughs> media, uh, they'll tell you about it, you know. But I, I think ultimately what it does, you know, it's a it's a classic description of one of the main elements of uh, privilege in, you know, in social science uh, or in culture studies, uh, which is that... <laughs> You know, if you if you presume yourself to be if you are in a position to presume yourself to be at the center, that is a very powerful thing. And so then you can describe other things in relation to what you uh, 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 to your sort of unconsidered centrality. (laughs) Um, And so one of the things that that means is that uh, older people um, presume their audience to be people like them. And so they can describe millennials as though they are space aliens that were just discovered. (laughs) Um, And that's not something that a millennial would do in describing millennials, right? Right. Um, 
And, you know, part of that is human nature, but part of that is uh, a kind of cultural laziness. And the sort of insidious part of that is that it, um, you know, it reinforces the existing power structure and alienates people who are outside of that uh, existing power structure, whether that's younger people um, or, you know, often in, in more uh, uh, dramatic and significant ways, uh, you know, uh, whatever whatever category is is uh, not hegemonic, you know, whether it's women or uh, people of color or um, LGBTQ people or whatever. Do you think that millennials are less privileged than non-millennials at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, in, in most ways. I don't know if they will end up being less privileged uh, uh, at a later point in their life. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, culturally, certainly, and um, uh, certainly in terms of the news media, um, <laughs> uh, and to a significant extent economically, which is a um, you know a very rare thing to have happened in the modern history of the United States. But um, you know, I think <laughs> I think to some extent one of the narratives of, of about uh, millennials is oh, they're so lazy, they live at their parents' house. It's like, yeah, maybe actually the situation is uh, that the economy is not being very kind to them. Right. Um, and so they're forced to. <laughs> My favorite instance of that was the uh, millennials aren't getting married. Uh, yeah, they were, they're, they're like 20, a lot of them. They're 25, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> they're young. It's fine. You uh, you own the, the Put This On menswear blog, and you run the Maximum Fun podcast network, which I know you were doing radio before you were doing the menswear blogging, but which which did you build into sort of uh, an, an enterprise first, to use a, a word that I don't like very much? Well, I definitely was well into building this podcast network before... Uh, put this on took off, but put this on put this on took off when it did take off rather emphatically uh, relative to anything else that I was up to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it also naturally lends itself to uh, business much more so than does podcasting, um, which is not to say podcasting is a poor business, but um, it's just really easy to see uh, how to make money from put this on and how to make it a sustainable enterprise, whereas I kind of had to make up. Uh, uh, the podcasting thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I've been I've been doing I, I've been d doing my show, which is now called Bullseye, used to be called The Sound of Young America for um, fifteen years now, and I've been podcasting for uh, more than ten years, uh, twelve to eleven, eleven or twelve years, um, and you know, I started MaximumFun.org. Uh, as a kind of business enterprise, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. <laughs> no more than that. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten years ago, probably. Uh, so yeah, that's been that's been a little longer. But there've just been two things that I've sort of done in in parallel for a number of years now. Do you find? And I heard you talk about this maybe a couple of years ago now. Yeah, this was two or three years ago. You were uh, you were on the Sklar Brothers podcast, um, talking about which is another great great show. Um, you were talking about how you don't really have to classify yourself as one type of person anymore. How you can be a guy who's into menswear and runs a menswear blog, and you can be 
respected, you know, pop recommender Jesse Thorne, who hosts Bullseye, and you can be, you know, hilarious goofball Jesse Thorne on Jordan Jesse Go, and all of those things can coexist now. Do you think that was was that something that was happening when you started uh, recording your radio show and and all of these things, or was it something that happened as you began to do those? <laughs> I mean, it's still a sort of a weird thing to try and do. <laughs> I often doubt the wisdom of having, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's still completely baffling to people uh, in, you know, if, for example, if I'm tr- tr- trying to get press or just trying to get people to, uh, for lack of a less awful way to say this, tell the story of my brand. <laughs> Um, but you know, just like, just, it's, uh, uh, ideas take off that are very simple and clear, um, and also have, uh, uh, other resonances with just sort of how brains work, you know, <laughs> like small counter, in, uh, small counterintuitive elements, um, that kind of thing, you know, all, all the things that, uh, that Upworthy figured out would make people <laughs> click like on Facebook two or three years ago. Right. Um, and uh, a whole complicated list of stuff that I do that is completely unrelated to each other, in, apparently, other than that I do it, is really confusing to people. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I, while you can do it, I don't know if I necessarily would recommend it. Um, I mean, I think I could do it before, uh, primarily just because, you know, I don't know. I just did it. I've just always just done the things that were of interest to me that I thought I could do a good job of. And then sort of sorted it out afterwards. If I had made some kind of plan, uh, <laughs> I might have made a plan to uh, be a one kind of thing in the mind of uh, people who don't know me personally, because <laughs> that's a lot easier. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier uh, to be one of the dudes from Duck Dynasty in the entertainment <laughs> industry. You know what I mean? Well, Duck um, Dynasty—they've been breaking into the uh, Christian bigotry. Division. That's true. <laughs> Although that you know that fits with the rest of their shtick. I mean, <laughs> or if you think of Martha Stewart, you know, like, um, like Martha Stewart represents something very simple, uh, very clear. I mean, she's great at it. Um, I I think Martha Stewart's great outside of the securities fraud. <laughs> but um, uh, like I, I I like Martha Stewart. But um, you know, she represents a really simple, clear thing. Uh, she looks like the thing that she represents. Um, you know, or Guy Fieri, you know, Guy Fieri is that thing that he is, you know, Jim Carrey is that thing (laughs) that he is like all of these people are, um, uh, all of these people are, are representing something that's pretty straightforward to the public and delivering that thing. And that's why their story gets told. So I wouldn't necessarily tell anyone (laughs) that they should have seven different weird jobs. (laughs) Was anyone making money from podcasts when you started MaximumFun.org? Uh, people were making money by bilking investors <laughs> when I started <laughs> MaximumFun.org. There was a sort of web 1.5 um, money rush into podcasting when I started um, uh, on, a, on a sort of small to medium scale. Um, actually, probably the biggest podcasting success story even now uh, is a website. I don't know if you've heard of this website, uh, Twitter. <laughs> sure. Have you heard of that? Uh, that Here was and there. Ju- that was started by some guys who worked at uh, uh, podcasting who were running a podcast startup called Odeo, 
And they did it just to like uh, have announcements in the office originally. Wow. And then they were like, man, we should try doing this as like a public thing. And then they were like, oh, this is much more popular than podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> and they got rid of audio. Uh, yeah. I mean, like in the early days, there was almost no money to be had. Uh, now there is uh, somewhat less, almost no money to be had. <laughs> Slightly more money to be had, but still almost none. Did you bilk any investors? I wish I had. <laughs> I was. I still aspire to bilk investors. I actually have something of value. <laughs> a friend of mine sold his podcasting company for fifty million dollars. I was like, "Geez, I have a lot of uh, morals and values and stuff." But <laughs> I, I think I know who man, you're talking about. It would not take fifty. <laughs> I'm the first person in my family to own a house. <laughs> yeah, let's do this. I'm I'm always really interested. You always put a lot of effort into bringing people of all different types uh, onto your shows. I know I've heard you and Jordan talk about the efforts you go to on uh, Jordan Jesse Go, and it shows in the guests you have on Jordan Jesse Go and on Bullseye. Do you think there's a reason that you're so sensitive to making sure that you have a representative sample of people on your shows? Yeah, I mean, I think for for one thing, I I wouldn't lay claim to having a representative sample. I mean, I think we're still pretty well short of what we could be. Um, but it is true that we do put a lot of effort into that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> for lack of a better thing to point to, I would say uh, San Francisco values. You know, I, I'm I'm from the Bay, uh, where multiculturalism is presumed, um, and and it's important to me. Like I think it's a real. I think it's one of the things that makes it so awesome to live in America. Is you get to, uh, you get to be in a constant interchange with people who are different from you. Like I think that's so neat. Um, it's like fun and funny and thrilling. Um, and so I do do my best. And especially since I've had any resources at all. I mean, for a long time, like I'm a. To be clear, I'm a straight, white, male, middle-class dude myself um, who's married to a woman right now, has two children and two dogs and a semi-suburban home. Um, I drive a station wagon. But, um, but like, uh, as soon as I – like, it was a real prior- priority for me as soon as I had the means to press in that direction. Like, for a long time, it was just about how can I get to a point where this is my job. And I'm talking about until five years ago, maybe. Um, and uh, and so now, you know, when we when we're developing something, um, or you know, when we're booking guests or whatever, um, you know, our that's one of our first priorities. This is not our only first priority, uh, but it's you know, it's right up there at the top of the list. Like it's definitely something that we think about, and I think it's important. And I think it it causes a lot of. A lot of the really great people I hear on your show and I haven't heard anywhere else are people who have some kind of minority. And I think that's I got to assume that's why you're putting the effort out there and they're and they're on your show because you asked them to, um, you know, versus other shows that that maybe aren't putting as much effort into it or any effort at all and are just taking, um, you know, whomever will be a great guest uh, without considering any of that. You get a lot of flack from uh, racists about the rap music you play on Bullseye. 
<laughs> That's true. <laughs> what is your relationship to rap music? From what I would call passive racists. More than, <laughs> like the KKK is not interested in me, but uh, I mean, I just like rap music. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably the most important form of popular music. Um, uh, maybe at this point, second to uh, that kind of thing that Dr. Luke makes. Um <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you would call that. I mean, you just call it pop music, I guess, but yeah. it's, it's a pretty ubiquitous aesthetic. Um, but like, you know, I think hip hop is the, you know, most significant musical, pop musical culture of the last 30 years, probably. Um, and uh, it's something I really like. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I also like country music. <laughs> like, it's weird. One of the weird things about being a, being a white guy that likes rap music, uh, especially one who doesn't, uh, who doesn't put on kind of a transracial cloak, yeah. um, uh, is that, uh, <laughs> you know, it definitely really sticks out for people. But, you know, I'm as, I'm as excited to have Dolly Parton on the show as uh as I am big boy uh but I am very excited to have both of them now people people uh, the people who complain complain to me I mean I think it's a reflection of you know partly it's a reflection of racism I think it's also a reflection of uh the kind of um you know I mean I hate to sound like I hate to sound like a twenty-year-old's tumbler, but a reflection a reflection of privilege, which is to say that um, I think a lot of people are in a position where they don't have to consider the idea that something that they don't like uh, would be generally applicable or important, um, and so they, you know, a lot of people consider their own cultural position to be kind of the be-all end-all, and music is a particularly, you know. Uh, deep-seated and specific part of cultural identity. And uh, and so there's a, just a lot of people out there still who just are like grossed out by the idea that something that someone else is like, someone else likes would uh, get, in, uh, get all up in their general interest thing because their definition of general interest is actually their personal interest. Um, and, you know, they've just never had to think twice about it because they're from a, you know, dominant or hegemonic cultural group, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, we run into that once in a while. But, I, you know, also, to be fair, run into a lot more people who, uh, you know, people who either come from a hip hop background and uh they say to me you know it's really cool to uh have someone like you doing this kind of work um and uh and a lot of people who don't come from a hip hop background who just say uh, who say like wow it's really fascinating to get insight into an artist whether or not i knew who they were and now i understand more things about what makes them so vital and uh what makes their work of consequence so let's say i'm someone who I've heard rap uh, on pop radio, um, and I like what I've heard, but I haven't sought it out. What is, let's say, one rap album that I should go listen to? That's a real, a real hip hop album, not not necessarily the the most, uh, you know, not not cleaned up for pop radio, I guess. Um, but that that will um, introduce me a little bit to the genre. 
you know, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, uh, obviously, boiling forty years of musical history down into one album is a challenge. However, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, uh, it you know, there's two um, uh, there's two older records that come to mind. Um, and you know, also also of note is that hip hop isn't a particularly album oriented form. Sure. But um, two older records that come to mind. Um, the my secondary pick would be for somebody who likes uh, uh, for somebody who likes rock music, specifically like people who like uh, loud, clattery. Uh, <laughs> These are unkind words to describe <laughs> rock music, but I think you know the kind of music that I'm talking about. Sure. Um, I would say uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions by Public Enemy would probably be a pretty good choice. It's very it's very clear. Like, you can really tell what Chuck D is saying, uh, and the aesthetics are um, kind of exciting and abrasive in the same way that rock music aesthetics are. Um, it's not not really confusing. Um, and also, it's, it's pretty coherent and... Uh, uh, the messages are pretty exciting, even now, 25 years later. Um, and the other sort of old classic rap album I would recommend that is maybe my overall pick, and it's not a groundbreaking overall pick, is uh, uh, Illmatic by Nas. Um, I'm actually not even a huge Nas fan relative to the average hip-hop fan, but um, <laughs> I think that album, along again, this is not groundbreaking, is pretty <laughs> much perfect. And... Um, uh, it is, uh, it's, it's very powerful. It's very beautiful and very powerful. Um, it's not hokey at all. Um, incredibly insightful. And it's just kind of amazing to think that Nas was, I can't remember exactly, but like 20, 19 or 20 or something when he made that <laughs> album. Um, but I also think that the, uh, the kind of aesthetics of it, um, wouldn't be, wouldn't be alienating to somebody who wasn't super familiar with hip hop aesthetics. Well, thanks for the recommendations. The maximumfund.org has uh, a ton of tremendous podcasts. All of them are really great. Um, we've previously covered baby geniuses on this show. Um, what other uh, Maximum Fund shows? Uh, I guess you can't really pick one, a, fa- a favorite child, right? But are, are, what, what are some of the uh, Maximum Fund shows that you like to highlight? Oh well, I'll pick. I'll pick in this instance. I'll pick a favorite child, just because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to have to go down the list of twenty um, and talk about what's great about all of them because I love them all. Um, but a show that I think is really special uh, is actually, in some ways, kind of a spin-off show from my public radio show, Bullseye. It's called Pop Rocket, um, and Bullseye is an interview show, an arts and culture interview show, and uh, Pop Rocket is a panel show. And um, uh, our senior producer here, Colin, and I spent a long time getting to know different people who think about culture uh, in and around Los Angeles and put together this this panel of uh, four folks, uh, plus a f- fifth on occasion, a very brilliant <laughs> uh, professor called Karen Tongson. And I just like it worked out better than I could have possibly imagined, like there are four people who think about culture so deeply and profoundly, but are also so fun and funny um, that I I get something from listening to it every week. Um, uh, not least of them is is the host, a, uh, a fellow named Guy Branham, uh, who's a stand-up comedian who 
See, he's currently he's he's been writing for the Mindy Project recently, um, but has written for many other television shows and appeared on many television shows as a comic. But he's also a law school graduate and uh, one of the smartest people I know, and uh, somebody who thinks about culture with the depth that only a you know closeted gay guy growing up in extreme rural Northern California. <laughs> Uh, could come up with, you know, like it's clear that he just spent uh, uh, that he just took his brains and his uh, loneliness and turned them onto popular culture. Um, He's just such an insightful guy and also just one of the funniest human beings on Earth. So um, Pop Rocket is just an absolutely amazing show. And I'll how about this? I'll give you one more. Okay. Just based on what I've listened to in the last 24 hours. One of the first shows that we ever added to Maximum Fun, um, in fact, the first show that we ever added to Maximum Fun from outside of my personal work, uh, is a Canadian show called Stop Podcasting Yourself, based in Vancouver. Uh, it is a show with very little format. It is just a very easy conversation between two brilliant, brilliantly hilarious, incredibly nice and polite Canadian guys <laughs> and uh, and a guest who is almost always all of those things as well. Um, and uh, it is a show that I find like when I, li- I love listening to it because as funny as it is, it is also so gentle and comforting. And it's so rare to have something that is that genuinely sharp and funny uh, where the tone isn't, you'd never feel like they're yelling at you. Yeah. And so for me, like that is the ideal show because I listen to it and I think, ah, oh, listening to this show makes these guys my friends. <laughs> and then, and and it never makes me feel bad or feel crazy while or agitated while I'm walking my dog or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, so there's two. Yeah, I'm a I'm a particular fan of stop podcasting yourself. Also, um, last week's episode with uh, Kyle Kinane was particularly a. a really really good episode uh and and pop rocket i haven't dove into yet guy branham uh is always one of my favorite guests on any podcast i hear him on he was super funny on uh never not funny and uh he was also in our episode on uh on baby geniuses we played the clip of him on baby geniuses talking about ruth bader ginsburg which was really really (laughs) interesting and yeah his his genius shines through uh pretty much always his passion for Ruth Bader Ginsburg runs so much <laughs> deeper than these meme level recent uh, Johnny come lately and Mary come lately <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg fandom that's been going on the last year or two. And uh, he'll tell you about it, too. <laughs> uh, Jesse, can you can you give us one recommendation of a show not on the Maximum Fun Network that you love? Um, I love, you know, I love listening to, uh, I'll give you two. One's a little inside baseball. I listen to uh, a great show called The Pub, uh, which is put out by Current, which is the newspaper of public radio and television. Uh, It's hosted by a public radio guy or a former public radio guy named Adam Ragusea. uh, And uh, it's just a really, it's a really well-made uh, totally fascinating look at the world of public media if you have any interest in that and, and to some extent the world of new media by extension um, and just the, the world of kind of principle-driven media as well. So that's a, that's a really great show. Um, but for general interest shows, despite the fact that I've just said media seven times in a row, uh, 
I am going. You know what? I'm not going to plug on the media because it would seem like all I do is listen to shows with the word media in them a lot. On the media is a great show, but how about 99% Invisible, uh, which is my friend Roman Mars' show about architecture and design. It's a sort of uh, uh, sound-rich narrative. Uh, these are public radio buzzwords, but this American lifey look at uh, the worlds of architecture and design uh, that is. Um, Absolutely on the vanguard of the podcast revolution, if you can <laughs> permit me a lapse into uh, cliche, um, but uh, awesome show, and uh, I really uh, I really look forward to listening to it every single week. Um, and so if you have any interest in architecture or design at all, and who among us does not fancy themselves <laughs> a person who's interested in architecture and design, it's absolutely worth listening to. Well, that's awesome. Jesse Thorne, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, is there anything you want to plug in particular? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Bullseye. If you want to hear really great arts and culture interviews uh, with uh, uh, folks ranging from, uh, gee whiz, today, today, we had, uh, today we had Ellie Kemper from the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt in here. She's going to be on the show in a, a week or two, uh, the show that we just put out had Michael K. Williams, who played Omar on The Wire, and Zach Galifianakis, uh, the brilliant comedian and actor, um, uh, all the way to the aforementioned Dolly Parton. And oh, last week we had the uh, legendary sleight of hand uh, uh, magician and um, uh, and card thrower uh, Ricky Jay, author of the book Cards as Weapons. <laughs> So there you go. That's some bullseye people for you. You can find it in on your local public radio station if you live somewhere cool uh, or in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I listened to that Michael K. Williams episode uh, maybe two hours ago, and that interview with him was was moving. It was really, really tremendous. Yeah, he's a pretty um, amazing guy besides being an amazing actor. He's on a great show called Happen Leonard on Sundance, which I, I, I really enjoy the uh, few episodes that they gave me before I, I talked to him. And I'm a huge fan of your um, uh, freestyle comedy show with uh, with Jordan Morris, Jordan Jesse Go. That's like I said before, one of my top shows. Like most people, I hesitate to recommend that to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it is goofy. It is occasionally obscene. Frequently obscene. <laughs> we don't want to get anybody into anything that they don't know what the, what the, what's coming up. You know, it is frequently obscene, and it is it is one of my favorite, absolute favorite things in the world. It is. Uh, it definitely hits those marks, like you were saying uh, that that uh, stop podcasting yourself does, where it's consistently sharp, consistently funny, and uh, it it is so just comforting and pleasant to listen to. Oh, I'm glad. Assuming you aren't jarred too much by the uh, by the profanities and vulgarities. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, Jesse Thorne, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast preview. Do you want to talk about podcasts? Is there a show you think I should recommend? You can send me a message on Facebook or Twitter at Podcast Preview. You can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode by searching the Podcast Preview in your favorite podcast app. It would be great if you do that on iTunes or the Podcasts app on your iPhone. If you could rate or review the show, uh, those do really great things for getting other people to see the show in their iTunes, and that would be really awesome. You can also stay up to date on our website at benviewnetwork.com slash podcast preview. I'm Aaron Prince Staley. I'll talk to you next week.
This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. I'm Mark from Comic Nerds Unite, and this is my hetero life mate, Tim. What's up, Mark? And what's up, world? Comic Nerds Unite is a comic book podcast, plain and simple. Our mission statement is bringing nerds together to talk comics. So we pick a book or graphic novel that we all read and discuss it at length. Then we talk about some of the books we read for the week. I love comics! Me too, buddy. Check us out on ComicNerdsUnite.com or on iTunes. Comic Comic Nerds Nerds Unite. Unite!